Download the app, Bet Big, Win Bigger. And I gotta tell you, I really like the sound of that. And with WinBet, it's just that easy. WinBet has what you need to win, including boosted same-game parlays for the upcoming NBA action after the football season. So if you're from Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, or right here in Virginia, sign up today to receive a special offer. New users can take advantage of WinBet's Bet $10, Win $200 offer. Just bet $10 and win $200 in free bets. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com. Download the app, bet big, and win bigger. And let's get after it. Bet 10, win 200 is not available in Michigan. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where win bet is available. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And in Michigan... 1-800-270-7117. In New York, one eight seven seven eight hope ny Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Today on the Greenlight Pod, we welcome ESPN draft analyst Jordan Reed to discuss the results of the NFL Combine and what a few teams might do in the first round. Then, Chris and Macon discuss the Calvin Ridley suspension and Coach K's last game at Cameron. Enjoy. hardly hear you chris you're so far away well before i want you I'll, I'll say this as loud as i can congratulations to your daughter on taking her first steps i want to be the first to on the air wish uh your daughter who is lovely uh, a happy first step i really appreciate that you know it was so nice to be able to see her walk via facetime because i'm sitting here recording a podcast while you're on a freaking vacation <laughs> It was nice through the uh, the brilliance of technology to be able to see that uh, whatever we call this digitally through uh, through a screen. Hey, listen, man, I can't control the timing on that, you know. Yeah, no, you're right. And hey, let me be the first to wish um, my lovely wife a happy second anniversary, March the eighth. You were there, and I, I know you were getting to it. Uh, for sure, the longest two-year marriage in the history of marriages. <laughs> we got married on March the 8th, 2020, and uh, I just want to say I'm sorry to everyone. I, we did not realize what we, were, uh, what we were doing. How do you mean? The pandemic? Well, some could say we were the first domino, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, honestly, I can remember your wedding, which was lovely. It was not at like a traditional venue. It was at somebody's house. It was small. It was intimate. Uh, and I can remember thinking, it was funny. I, I really do. When I was taking pictures that night, you were like, hey, fuck you, man. Stop taking pictures. And I was kind of like, dude, like this is the last thing before the world changes. And lo and behold, <laughs> as I look back at my pictures from 2020, 
that was the last thing before we went off the cliff. Was it really that was. So we, we had a little mini moon plan for that, that next weekend, the ensuing weekend and the world had already changed. We canceled it. Still haven't let gone. Me, let me, let me sell you on a place. Mm -hmm. Playa del Carmen. Playa del Carmen, Mexico. Hello. So if you need a do over, uh, if you need a mulligan, uh, listen, I've been down to Mexico before. I love Mexico. I love the people of Mexico and, uh, and I've had a great time here. I, I went down years ago for uh, my morning jacket festival called one big holiday. Uh, they had some other acts, including war on drugs down there and uh, preservation hall jazz and all that stuff. Like they always have a really good lineup here and had a big travel snafu going with my parents, going with my kids, like this big family vacation. Kyle didn't find out about it until like three days before he left and was not happy. I told him it was a, an issue with the weight on the plane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like we didn't want to have in a situation where we had quote unquote too much luggage. Also the guy, the guy takes up a lot of room just generally. And, you know, if I got to invite Kyle, then I got to invite Howie. And then there's like a whole, a whole crew of longs here. Anyways, long story short in two, three days, we went from traveling somewhere else entirely to Mexico. And that worked out perfectly because one big holiday was going on here in Riviera Maya. Uh, and I got to see Jacket the other night. It's been awesome, man. I, I am truly on vacation. Didn't see the Duke game. Literally Sunday was ready to bet uh, UNC money line just to have fun and watch the game. But then when I realized that when I decided I was totally going to tune out and not watch sports and really be on vacation, I did not put the bet in. And boy, do I regret that. So I want to get the whole Duke game catch up on the back half of this pod. I also want to talk about uh, Von Miller. I know Cowboy Reed's excited about that and, uh, and the combine. That's why we have Jordan Reed on. So, uh, Jordan Reed, of course, writes for ESPN and, uh, analyzes draft prospects. He is awesome at it. And, uh, we have a mutual friend in William Hayes. So Jordan Reed about the same age as me, he's a rising star in that kind of Mel Kuyper bracket of talent. And I think he's going to be even better one day. So we get Jordan Reed on the show today in just a few minutes. But first, let's do layup line, shall we? Yeah, hit us. Should we do an international shuffle, one country to another? Wow. Okay. Oh, wait. No, I'll do it. We don't need to do a shuffle today. We're going to do some Kenny Rogers. Ooh. I like it. Ooh. Yeah, because you got to know when to hold him. You got to know when to fold him. And you got to know when to walk away. No when to hold him. In the case of losing multi-million dollars on a, on fifteen hundred bucks worth of gambling, I'd uh, I'd run. That's the now, situation where I'd run. You know when to run. That's when you run. Yes. Okay. But no, and like, listen, we're not going to skewer Calvin Ridley. We'll talk about that after Jordan Reed. Like, it's it feels a little unprecedented in this day and age of like he is the first guy to get busted in the age of online betting. Well, I mean, there was the one guy 2020 uh, who was in Arizona, but nobody had heard of this guy. All due respect, Calvin Ridley is a guy we've been talking about a lot this year and a really good player. So it's kind of interesting. You know, you have your Pete Roses of old who were uh, going to a payphone and calling a bookmaker to bet on the Reds. And Calvin's got to log on to some fucking I just feel like any 
app in Florida is sketchy, including a gambling app, unless it's WinBet, which I don't know if WinBet carries a uh, service in Florida, but uh, there's a reason if they don't, because Florida is sketchy and there's a lot of liability uh, out there down in Florida, but he is the first guy to get busted in this day and age in the NFL. And it's so interesting to me because people always ask me like, Hey, did you bet when you were in the NFL? And I think it's the dumbest question in the world because I never came close, never came close, uh, not on pro football. So it's unorthodox. This is not something that guys do. And if they do, they don't talk about it because I haven't heard about it. It's a delicate situation. It's a little different than a guy on an active roster, um, you know, getting to the team hotel and putting it in a parlay. So we'll talk about Calvin Ridley in a few, but we wanted to get you guys to Jordan Reed first because, uh, because he's awesome. And, uh, I didn't see the combine. I'll admit it. Macon did Reed did Jordan Reed did I feel like I'm the only guy, but, uh, I'm enjoying my vacation as God intended it uh, down here in Mexico. So anything else I'm missing guys. Millard Fillmore and William Howard Taft died on March the 8th. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Both, man, they were good presidents. Uh, about 56 years apart. Yeah. So any, any presidents out there, head on a swivel today, fellas. One day, ladies and gentlemen. Today, this year, only gentlemen. Did, well, you, did you just say out loud that Joe Biden could die any day? <laughs> no, no, no. And the, anybody who has been president who is living... Got it. Yeah. Got it. There's only a handful. Dog, it, it could be it for us tomorrow, today. Jimmy Carter's still around? Hell yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. As he should be. Yeah. Hopefully for a lot, like, more days. And, and yeah. if, if not months or years. Cat's 97. It's incredible. I don't plan on being around that long. You know who wants to make a lot of dead presidents? <laughs> Malik Willis guys cash, shoot cash draft reports everywhere. And I want to cut because we've been talking about Malik Willis since early fall. Okay. We put him in the hall of fame months ago. So, uh, we want to cut of all that money he's going to make when he's a Panther or a Steeler. And if you he's hear anything about Evan Neal, I had Evan Neal in my head pictures to the New York giants at five months ago, months ago. I got bad news for you trading those picks for Russell Wilson and you're going to be just as bad as the Seahawks were uh, this past year. So Russell, hey, jokes on you, Russell Wilson, largest hands in the league. <laughs> Does he really? Top three, Russ, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen. How big are Russell Wilson's hands? He fumbles a lot for being a damn guy with big hands. I believe it's 10 and one quarter inches. His hands might be bigger than mine. Mitts. That's incredible. Yeah, dog. That's incredible. Okay. So we'll ask, uh, we'll ask Jordan Reed about small hands. We'll ask him about Malik Willis and we'll certainly ask him about the edge rushers y'all enjoy. And then on the back half, we'll talk about some of the breaking news that just has cascaded, uh, onto our timelines today. It was too boring. The combine wasn't enough. We need a guy gambling. We need Von Miller back to Denver. Uh, and we'll catch up on Duke. If you're in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, or Virginia, and you haven't tried the WinBet app yet, I got great news for you. WinBet is now offering $200 in free bets for new users. That's right, 200 big ones. WinBet is basically giving you free money. Don't pass it up. Download the WinBet app today. 
Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where WinBet is available. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And in Michigan, 1-800-270-7117. In New York, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. All right, so we're really lucky to have Jordan Reed. I mean, you know, like... I'm on vacation. I'm in Mexico. I didn't see so much of the combine, but I've read up on it. Macon has, has read up on it, has seen it. Cowboy Reed has seen it. And obviously Jordan Reed has been watching the combine extensively. So how you doing, man? You getting any sleep over the last week or you, do you go home and just rest for a couple of days? Yeah, I'm making it. So, um, the combine was great. It's a, it's a trip I love every year, but back home now, and I have two twin daughters that are two years old, so I don't get any sleep at home and I don't get any sleep on the road. So <laughs> I'm used to it. No, that's when the combine's like a treat. You're like, I'm going to the combine. I be on my feet 18 hours a day. That's good. Yeah. Did you hit, the, you hit that steakhouse that everybody talks about? There's a bunch of them. So there's St. Elmo's there's prime. And then there's like, there's so many different other ones, but yeah, I had probably like five pounds of steak over the past week. So good, <laughs> I'm trying good. to recover from that. Good. That, that's good. That's good. Uh, what about, uh, give me the best one. Is it St. Elmo's or is it, is it, is there a dark horse that nobody talks about? I actually like prime the best. I think St. Elmo's you're just going to get the, the shrimp cocktail that everybody talks about. And it's like, I don't understand the hype with the shrimp cocktail. It's kind of like you're just signing up to burn the crap out of the roof of your mouth so <laughs> with the horseradish and everything like that. So, I mean, St. Elmo's is great, but I have some other spots that I like better. That's funny as hell because I was talking to somebody over the weekend who's in the NFL media circle, and they were like, dude, St. Elmo's is a place that people just go to be seen and say I was at St. Elmo's because it's become this, like, kind of fixture during the combine. So, they prime – just as good. We're saying that's the take. Yeah, absolutely. It's a better value. Probably. Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. St. Elmo's has fallen, but not too far down the, down the draft board. Okay. So Jordan, Reed, you saw it all, man. Like, what do you think was the most shocking thing to you? Is it something chalky like Jordan Davis, or is it something totally off the board that I'm not thinking about that you came away and said, I could not believe that happened. Well, it's just how fast every position group ran. I don't think it's just a defensive lineman or defensive backs. I mean, we had a wide receiver, excuse me, we had a cornerback run four two three, who was Kalen Barnes from Baylor. We had Jordan Davis run, I believe he ran four seven eight. I think that was his final time. So like just how fast guys ran. And I think they installed a new surface at Lucas Oil Stadium. So obviously it was a faster surface. And then overall, like there were some ridiculous times, like Amari Barno, who's an outside linebacker, he's six five, two hundred and forty five pounds, and he ran four three seven. So just ridiculous times like that. Just how fast the track was at Lucas Oil. I think that was the most surprising. It was also incredible to see a Virginia Tech guy actually run a fast time at the combine. Uh, you know, in Blacksburg, they shortened their their 40 to like 38 and a half yards. <laughs> so it was really interesting to see that defensive end run like a four-three something. Now, when I hear defensive end edge guy, is this guy like a true edge? Can he hold the the point of attack? Can he set the edge? You know, this this kid from Tech. What's his name, Macon? Do you remember his name? We don't we don't remember Hokie's names. Yeah, Samari Barno. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Of course, that guy. Yeah. So because Samari Barno, can he set the edge? Like, is he one of these little guys masquerading as a defensive end? Like, I look at these defensive end numbers, man, and it's obviously a surface because I would have ran at least a four, six, eight. <laughs> I would have cracked the top 15 in this year's edge guy group, which is incredible. They span all the way from the four threes 
and the guys on the outer edge of that top 15 are like in the four seven. So is this guy, are these guys that are running these times like true defensive ends or has the, the position kind of changed this much? It's kind of like a mixture of both, honestly, Chris, just because you have Trayvon Walker, who's probably going to end up being probably a top eight pick may go even higher from Georgia. He's six foot five, 272 pounds. And he ran four, five, nine at that size, which is just ridiculous for him. He made himself so much money, but Barno is a little bit different. He's more of your stand up two point guy outside linebacker. He does struggle a little bit as far as holding up firm at the point of attack. He sets a good edge, but he's not the one that is going to battle with double teams from tight ends and offensive tackles. That's not his game, but he can drop back in coverage. You want him as that three, four outside linebacker, just trying to keep him free as much as you can. It's so funny um, because I'm looking at this kid, Trevon Walker, and, you know, he's, he's shooting up the draft boards as we talked about. And um, he's got this old NFL frame. Like he looks yeah. like a guy that would have been playing a base left end, you know, with those measurables in the NFL around the turn of the century when, when, you know, when I was coming up and getting in it, they were guys were bigger, longer and stronger. And there's no doubt in my mind, with his pedigree where he's played in the SEC and his body type, that's a guy who can set the edge. Now, I wonder if he's a three down player. Cause it's funny to me hearing a guy is, is, you know, he's, he's maybe a top five pick, but then I'm reading, he might not be a three down player in your mind. Does he come off the field on third down? No, I don't think he does. And he's a tricky evaluation just because in Georgia's defense and then also in Saban's defense, they very rarely ever just ask guys to get up the field right now. And he played some five technique, but it was so tight to the offensive tackle. He wasn't allowed to just go hunt. And, you know, on third downs, you want guys to play those fives, those wide nines, but you rarely ever see that in Kirby Smart or Nick Saban's defense. And that's what makes his evaluation so tricky. So you're kind of just basing everything off of the traits. And then once you allow him to play, that five technique and just allow him to go and hunt the quarterback. You're assuming that he can be that guy, but right now it's just a projection. You're thinking, man, this guy, this size, these traits, he's eventually going to be able to figure it out. And he kind of reminds me of Rashawn Gary. If you remember him coming out of Michigan, there was kind of like some effort concerns with him. And there's no questions with that with Walker, but oh, just no. talking about, Oh no, that guy plays fucking yeah, hard. He plays there's hard. And I think the national championship yeah. where he ran down somebody who caught a ball in the flat 30 yards down the field and he's running past backers yeah. and safeties to get to that football. Yeah, it's, it's just he's so inexperienced as a pass rusher. So he's kind of just like he's experimenting whenever he does get an opportunity to do it. But And he kind of reminds me of Daniel Hunter a little bit, too, if you remember him coming out of LSU. He had no idea how to use his hands just because he didn't have a lot of experience with doing it. So he's one of those guys you're really banking on the traits and him eventually figuring it out. So you're going to have to have a defensive line coach that really has a lot of experience with developing guys and just showing them how to use those tools that he has in his toolbox just because that height weight speed combination i mean you're gonna bank on a guy eventually figuring it out just because he's already he's excellent as far as like a run defender i mean he has i think he had 35 and a half inch arms which was ridiculously long for that size and i think he had like an 84 inch wingspan too which is crazy for that size too so he has the length that you're looking for and it shows up on run defense but it's just a matter of you have to figure out what you're getting as a pass rusher he feels like a patriot to me and it's funny i saw some comps now, not the Pats are going to be there or need a guy like that early, but I saw some comps. We were just talking about comps right before you got on. It's like, why now are we always seeing all the comps are really good comps? We never get comped 
a guy in the top 10 never gets comped to a, a guy who was pretty good or, you know, like, like the fact that we went Chris Wormley. I read somebody, yeah. you know, compared him to Chris Wormley who had a big year quietly in Pittsburgh this year. You know, those guys are really valuable. I just don't know at three or four, if you're going to, if you're going to say five years down the line, like I, these are the sack numbers and I can justify, you know, this pick with the numbers, but a good team that has like a program and a way they do things. And like you mentioned, a defensive line coach, you can turn a guy who's used to rushing from a type five into a double digit guy. It's just right. about development. So where I'm curious, both your guys thoughts on this and it, it's circling back to speed. I'm a former 40 yard dash runner, but have never played football. <laughs> I'm curious what position is speed most relevant? Because I understand all things being equal. If you have a guy running a four five and a guy running a four seven, you'll take the faster guy, but there's, there's football speed and then there's combine speed and uh, rarely are all other things equal. So how much stock is really being put into the 40? Where does it, where does it jump off the field most? What position? Well, I mean, I can just tell you guys right now that NFL teams value the agilities a little bit more than just the straight line forties, just because like defensive line, offensive line, those are the positions that you're going to be able to see some agility type stuff. Defensive back is another one where they value agility too, of where you're doing so much change of direction. So, I mean, wide receiver, I think that's one position of where it kind of translates, but we've seen guys that haven't performed well at the 40 go on and have successful careers. And then you have most of your burners like your John Ross or some of these other guys that really just didn't pan out in the NFL. And then these teams use a lot of these agilities to what's called clusters in the scouting world. So if you have guys that are graded evenly, you use those clusters to, in order to break up some of these log jams that you may have, or some guys that you have graded evenly at a certain position. I also think it's probably not a good thing if you're a corner and you run like a blazing fast 40 and everybody's surprised, right? I mean, like, because uh, I've got four years of tape that says you're not that fast, hence me being surprised. So like, do you look at that with a guy whose play speed is so different and somebody who say ran a four, two or a four, three, and you're like, damn fast surface. They changed the, you know, they changed the surface this year. This guy's real good in straight line, but it didn't show up on tape. Like comparing that play speed with the 40 time. Yeah. And I mean, that's the tough part about all of this, just because the draft is you have your experts and, you know, like myself or people that are well seasoned and educated on it. But at the end of the day, it's an educated guess. But all these data points that you're getting with the combine and the intel from the combine, getting these guys on the whiteboard and speed dating, in a sense, is what I like to call it. When you're meeting these prospects for 15 to 20 minutes at a time, you're just making an educated guess when it's all said and done. I don't know how guys can get any faster. Like, you know, I'm sure we thought that 20 years ago in the NFL, but like, it's incredible to think 20 years from now, the surfaces, the cleats, the athletes, like we're yeah. going to be looking at a four, three, like, uh, that guy run four, three though. I mean, like, I don't know if it's ever going to get there. I think the thing we should more focus on with defensive linemen is Jordan Davis's 10 yard split. Like everybody's freaking out about the 40, his 10 yard split, I think, you know, like that was what I made my, I had an elite 10 yard split as a defensive end. His is like just behind me yeah. <laughs> and he's 340 pounds. The distance between him and a guard to run that 10 yard split is fucking terrifying. And I think, you know, everybody wants to freak out about the 40, the weight, all that stuff. If he's in the right defense, I feel like that's the, the scariest number I saw all weekend was that 10 yard split. Who else really got out of the gate well this weekend? Maybe didn't run the best 40 
but somebody that you saw that burst in, in the, in the, in the 10, maybe at edge rusher or a defensive tackle that you said, Hey, this guy's got a shot because of that burst. Yeah, there was two guys. Well, actually three guys that really stood out to me. Aiden Hutchinson was the first gotcha. one. And there was a lot of questions about his agility just because he's not a defensive end. That's really gonna like what I like to call reduce his surface area, get low and bend the hoop at yeah. the top of his, at the top of his rush plans, just because that's just not his game. So Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm saying, hey, guilty as charged. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm saying, yeah. dude, I totally get that. It makes a big difference if you can't yeah. bend, if you're not a, but you got to have the burst. What did he run in the ten? I think it was like one six two or one six three, something like that, which is still pretty good for the yeah, most part. Yeah, I think really T.J. Cool. Watt was in that range too when they were talking about it. When I was in a stadium, I think T.J. Watt had like one six two. Miles Garrett had like one six three or something like that. So they said as long as it's between like one five five to one six four, it's really really good as far as you, now, what was your ten yard split. I think it was one six two, which okay. is you know, I'm like, damn, this kid really is. Although you had the right comp and Patrick Kearney, he really is trying to be me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the St. Louis Rams come nowhere near this guy, but Aiden Hutchinson, this stuff doesn't matter being a hometown guy, but you know, Detroit's going to be looking at him maybe. Yeah. And I guess the big question is what does Jacksonville do? Like I had Doug, I have no idea what he's going to do. He was my head coach. I really don't know. What do you think they do? And then do you have a lean on where a Dan Campbell would go? And that kind of really, it's more about Thibodeau than Hutchinson. Yeah. Cause I think 10 out of 10, anybody would take Thibodeau's athleticism over Hutchinson, but we've had a bunch of questions as to his like on field kind of, I don't know how you put competitive spirit in a numeric that we can measure, but for some reason there have been questions about that. So what do you think happens with Jacksonville? And do you think that Detroit can pass up the hometown kid for that tantalizing high ceiling guy in Thibodeau? Yeah, I, I think it's between two guys at number one overall right now, just because they have to figure out a way to protect Trevor Lawrence. You take him with the number one pick, you have to figure out a way to protect him. Cam Robinson is probably going to hit free agency. They have a rookie who played well last year named Walker Little from Stanford. He filled in really good at left tackle. Jawan Taylor, who's their right tackle right now, he's entering a contract year next year, but he's been really, really inconsistent. So I think it'll probably be a tackle between Iki Aquanu from NC State and then also Evan Neal. And I just want to talk about Neil for a second, man. Like he said, he weighed in at three, 337 pounds. Like just looking at that dude at the podium, he's built just like Tyron Smith. And I mean, we both have seen Tyron in person. He looks like he's 275 pounds when he's 320 pounds plus, like all his weight is in his lower half. And he looks like a power forward, NBA power forward. You like, there's no way this guy weighs 337 pounds, but that was, that's what he weighed in at, at the weigh-ins and the measurables at the combine. So his body, it just looked incredible. He looked so fit. He looked so in shape. And I think he played at like 350 last year. So he, he slimmed down a little bit, but his body looked really, really good. And then Kwanu, he's six foot four 320 pounds but he's one of those dudes that you would hate to play just because play after play after play he's just trying to play through the whistle and he's just yeah. one of those dudes he's like look man like calm down but his play temperament he just plays pissed off the entire game so he's a little bit more nasty than Evan Neal but he has some things that he needs to work on from a pass protection standpoint he kind of oversets quite a bit so he, he sets all the way over to that outside shoulder and then he leaves his inside shoulder really open a lot right now that's kind of his big weakness but that's something that he said he's kind of he's trying to clean up for the most part but I think those are you two guys at the number one overall pick of what it will come down to. I'd never know why somebody so big and so long needs to overset anybody. 
Right. You know, it's like a habit that guys get in in college because, you know, guys will be in the hallway practicing their kick step and they want to look as fast as possible and they look sweet doing it. But a guy that big, just anchor inside, make somebody run through you. And I mean, like, it sounds to me like he's the, I don't know, 90%. What would you put it at? Like if, if Jacksonville goes tackle, is he like the 85% lock or is the one B that much closer than we think? Honestly, I think it's 50, 50 right now. Like nobody has no idea what they're going to do, but a lot of people are saying it's between those two guys and Aiden Hutchinson, but I just think you have to figure out a way to protect Trevor, especially with what happened last year. And then him just not looking good in spurts last year. You want to protect your investment, especially when we're talking about a quarterback that was labeled as one of the best since Andrew Luck. So, and I know Doug, he, he wants to protect the quarterback just because the trenches is where, I mean, you guys won that Super Bowl. Like yeah, yeah. y'all were really, really good along the yeah. offensive line and defensive line. And you had somebody like a Jason Peters. That was just that big dude that just kicked your ass the entire game. So it wouldn't surprise me if he takes an Evan Neal, but also on the opposite side, he had the athletic guy and yeah. Lane Johnson, which is a very similar mold to, to Iki, Iki Aquanu. So it's tough right now. And I mean, just people that I talk to, they don't even have any idea of what's going on. So obviously the people internally, they're the only people that knows what's happening right now, but it's really a 50, 50 split right now between those two. That's so interesting. I mean, like you do look at, you know, who Doug, who, who, you know, owes a Super Bowl to that front, that offensive line. I mean, that was the heartbeat of our team and yeah. he's probably looking at two guys and you made a great point. They have comps, relative comps in both tackles we had. So he's got tough decisions to make. Another one that I think is going to be really interesting. I mean, like, besides like, do you, do you buy the, the Thibodeau thing? Do you have, you know, the Georgia kid rocketing into the top five at defensive end? Do you have, do you have Kyle Hamilton being taken early? I know the jets supposedly love Kyle Hamilton. He, what I read was that he didn't have a combine. Do you think that that's legitimate? And do you think that a safety could possibly go that high? I think he's the best player in the draft. I mean, Kyle Hamilton, I think he's just an alien. That's what I like to call him. Like you're six foot four and a half, 220 pounds. I knew he wasn't going to run fast just because he's high hip and he's more of like a build up speed type of safety that just covers ground. His strides are so long. He's never been that quick twitch guy that just that I thought was going to run fast. So four five, nine didn't really surprise me at all. I mean, I thought he was going to run a little bit faster than that, but I didn't think he was a four, four guy by any stretch just because he operates off a of build up speed. But just like range, being able to come down and strike, and then just being able to play any position on the back end. I just think he affects the game so much. And defense is now what's so different about football, I think, 10 years ago, is that safeties are asked to do so much more with it being more of a passing game now. I think Kyle Hamilton has so much value. Yeah, I, it's so interesting you said with build-up speed because it's something we never think about. Maybe Macon's question earlier, you know, a position that 40 doesn't matter as much, and I don't want to go out on a limb here because you know way more than me, but I feel like the very thing you just pointed out is that a lot of times safeties are creeping up into the box or they've got time if they're smart players to diagnose and take an angle and start jogging before they sprint. And, you know, I wonder at that four, six, do you remember another safety in recent memory that actually panned out very well with, with a relatively slow time, because that might be a position where it doesn't matter as much, depending on how you play. Yeah. So a comp that's been floating out there for him is Derwin James and Derwin was much more athletic than Kyle Hamilton, but the player that I think he's reminiscent of is Justin Simmons. And if you remember, Justin Simmons ran four, six, one, he ran four, six, one at the combine. And we saw, we saw how successful he's been with the Broncos. So I think that's a very apt comparison for him. 
And it's also, you know, you better be able to play the run and come down and play the run. Right. Because you're going to be a New York jet if you're taking it for, and people are going to be yeah. running a fucking ball on you for a few years. <laughs> yeah. See long, let me go to five and seven with the giants. I know we talked about right. the offensive tackles and, and whether or not Daniel Jones is the guy or it's a rebuild. A lot of teams like to start in the trenches. I'm curious if you think there's a big drop-off from Neil and Aquanu to guys like Cross, Pinning, et cetera. How much of a crapshoot do you think tackle is a bigger crapshoot than others or less of one? Because the Giants were just here when Andrew Thomas, instead of Becton, Wirfs, Wills, and um, it seems as unpredictable a position as others. No, it didn't. So it, it seems as unpredictable as, as maybe more unpredictable than other positions, but you might not agree with that in terms of projecting at this stage. A lot of people don't know, but Andrew Thomas actually like a stud last year. Like he, he really did, came yeah. along. He came along and that tackle class was great. I mean, him, Beckton, as you mentioned, worse. And then Wills too. That was a really, really good tackle class. And I don't think we have the high-end tackle talent. Like even what we had last year with Slater and Sewell, I think both of those guys were head and shoulders above of any of the guys that we have in this class. But if you want a franchise tackle, you better take them in the first round. And if you think about all the great tackles around the league, most of them were taken in the first round. So I think this class really has some guys that can be those franchise left tackles. And I don't think there's a steep drop-off at all from Charles cross or Trevor Penning. I think both of those guys are going to go on to be very successful pros, but it's just a matter of, I think there's a little bit more flexibility with those other two guys, just because Neil has played guard. He kind of was on that Alex Leatherwood, Jonah Williams, Cam Robinson plan of where Saban likes to start him inside before he kicks him outside, just because he wants him to gain that experience. And then Alabama has so many studs of where sometimes you just don't want to move guys just because they've been playing there for two years. And then you bring in that four or five star freshman, but you want to get them on the field. So you play him at center or guard. So that's what happened with Neil initially. He played at right guard, I believe it was, for 15 games. And then after that, he went from right tackle to left tackle, which is where he played during his sophomore and his junior year. And then with the Kwanu, some people are going to say he's a little bit undersized. They don't like the measurables at six foot four, three twenty. So some people like him a little bit better at guard, which I mean, I don't have any problem with, but I think with tackle being such a premium position, you don't want to take a guard that early, especially with him showing on tape that he's already more than capable of holding up at tackle. So I like those two guys at the top, but on cross and pinning, I like both of those guys too, but they don't, I don't think they have any flexibility to kick inside just because they've never done it before. And then cross he's, he's a really, really linear built type of prospect. And if you ever look at him, he's really, really thin waisted. And I think he's a tackle type all the way. And he, he came into Mississippi state at 270 pounds. And now he weighed in at the combine at 310 pounds. And we're talking about a kid that was only a rich or sophomore last year. So he packed on 50 pounds in three years, but the weight looked really good on him. And then pinning pinning is more, I think he's probably the more stoutly built of all the, the tackle prospects outside of Evan Neal. I think he came in at about six foot seven, 325 pounds, but you're talking about somebody that is just plays through the echo of the whistle every single down. He's that type. And if you go back and watch some of his highlights from the senior bowl, he about took out Desmond Ritter's ACL just because he just slung a defensive end right into him. So I always say, I always say with offensive linemen though, you would rather have to calm down the physicality as opposed to coaching it into them. Just because I think physicality is something that you have to want as soon as you step onto the field. And he's one of those guys that you have to tone it down a little bit or otherwise he's going to be a penalty magnet. 
I'll take that. I mean, guys have made great careers out of being that guy. And I'm not, yes. certainly like, you know, you know, somebody like Ryan Jensen, I'm not discounting the, you know, how good he is between the whistles, but in the echo of the whistle, it's important too. I always, when you were talking about guys that just don't stop and they're almost annoying, it's like the Marshall yonder rule. I always bring up, there was always a hand on your back. There was always like somebody with the extra shove. And that's like such an important tone setting piece. And to your point, I have never seen a guy come in the league and change who he is as an offensive lineman. Like nobody ever came to the league and we said, Hey, that guy's soft mentally his first year and then became like an absolute dog by year six. I've never seen it. Another thing that you, you know, you pointed out was that kind of like made me think of DeBrickishaw Ferguson. I don't know how long cross his arms are, but I remember when brick got to UVA, I mean, he was probably 250. He started against Penn state and gave up three sacks his freshman year, but brick would drink insure by the case to gain weight. And sure enough, like after three years of drinking in shore, uh, he was three fifteen, I believe it was, I believe if you're that slender bodybuild guy with, with, um, you know, that, that high waisted guy that, you know, that kind of like uh, that athletic shape, you have to have long arms. So yeah. I wonder how long cross is. Another thing is like with a measurable hand size has been coming up, like with the quarterbacks, right. You would think maybe a year after Joe Burrow, everybody would stop paying attention to hand size after everything he did. But Kenny Pickett could have copy and pasted his tweet. And in fact, I think he did Pickett eight and a half inch hands. Was that what it was? I read that he didn't have a great combine. Is that true? Because I also saw in that analysis that four seven was underwhelming. And I was going to say, that's pretty damn good seeing he's not a little guy. I mean, for a, for a pocket type passer, who can get out and run. I like four, seven. How did he look on the field? And do you worry about the hand side stuff? Yeah. You know, honestly, Chris, I don't really put a whole bunch of stock into how the quarterbacks throw at the combine, just because I mean, they're throwing to foreign surroundings. They don't know any of these guys that they're throwing to unless one of them played on the team with them. But I think just with the timing of those guys, it's really hard to gauge some of these quarterbacks, especially when you're throwing these timing based routes, like quick outs, you know, comebacks and things like that. So I don't really knock guys too much for that. But one thing I think where Pickett did mess up a little bit with is that he should have just measured his hand at the senior bowl, just because now it makes it seem like he, was kind of trying to hide something. So I think he should have just went ahead and measured at the senior bowl and then do it again at the combine, just because now there's this whole storyline of where you're kind of inviting intrigue, or it makes it seem like you're trying to hide something with the hand, just because you skipped that part of the portion of the way in at the senior bowl. So That's go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it at the senior bowl. Like it's go not going to change. Yeah, no, right. You can do exercises. You can do exercises. <laughs> You can't do exercises, man. They're tendons. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can. So, hey, that's funny. Like, whoever was advising him to skip that the first time around and wait until everybody's watching to see how small your hand is, like, that person should yeah. not get any advice taken from them again. I Like, listen, I, I know that every time we do this hand size thing, we go, hey, but quarterback X, Y, and Z had small hands, and they're all really good. But then, like, name me the other 300 that had under nine – in chance and tell me like how these guys are probably more outliers in my opinion, but you know, like just having played guys who cough the football up and, you know, being able to, you never notice how strong cam Newton is with the football in the pocket or, you know, another guy is with the football in the pocket until you chop down on their arm and try to tomahawk the fucking ball out and they don't see you coming. It doesn't come out like Josh Allen. I don't know how big his hands were, 
but nobody counts those. And I just think like, if I'm measuring hands, I'm actually going to be pretty swayed by that information I get. Having said that, I think if you're Matt rule, you just take a quarterback, you take Kenny Pickett, the guy that committed to you at temple and you bask in the irony and, uh, and you take another swing at a quarterback. They need somebody that can help them right now. Yeah. <laughs> and is Willis, is Willis okay. off the board at six? No, I don't think so. But oh, I I love, hey, can we talk? Can we praise Willis for a little bit? Let's praise my Willis. Guy, man. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big Willis fan. Make it make a case for Willis going to the Hall of Fame in 97. <laughs> well, I will say this about him. He just fits the modern day quarterback as far as the mobility aspect. Just seeing that guy, the ball come off of his hand. It's like it has smoke leaving his hand. Like his velocity is just different. Like even at the senior bowl. So there was one practice. It was the Wednesday practice of where it was just like a downpour. Like guys could barely grip the ball. Guys were struggling to push the ball in the rain. A wet ball is a little bit different. It's heavier, but he's just constantly rocketing the ball. And like wide receivers are trying to catch it. And it's like that extra jolt that yeah. they have with their hands. Like the weather, the weather elements did not affect him at all. But He's so exciting. But the one thing about him is that I don't think he's ready right now just because yeah. he has some things that he needs to clean up. So my dream landing spot for him, though, is eight to Atlanta. I yeah. really like his fit there. Matt Ryan is probably on the last few years of his legs right now, even though Matt's still playing well. But I think it's time for them to kind of think about the heir apparent there. And I think with Kyle Pitts and then continuing to surround some weapons for Malik, and that's a situation of where he wouldn't be rushing to duty either. So Atlanta is my dream situation for him, but there's a lot of steam that Pittsburgh could trade up for him just because we know Tomlin, he's going to want that position solidified and they don't have an answer right now. And they're saying Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins could be the guy, but I mean, let's just be realistic. Yeah. The veterans in that locker room are not going to be satisfied with that. So there's a lot of steam that they could trade up from 20 in front of the Panthers. Uh, at six or at five with the Giants, with the Giants having two top 10 picks, the Giants could be looking to trade back too. So jumping up from 20 to five would take like a, a Patrick Mahomes type of deal. But I mean, Mike Tomlin, we, we've seen that he's he's not scared to give away those first round picks like he did with Mika Fitzpatrick and then some years past too. So Pittsburgh is one area where he could land too. But I wanted to go to a situation of where he's not where he has to sit or he can sit and learn for a year or two, yeah. just because I don't think he's ready right now. So dream situation will be Atlanta at eight for him. Hey, I love Malik Willis and I'd love him in Atlanta for all the reasons you just mentioned. Another thing is like Atlanta is sitting in a division. That's like a power vacuum right now. It's like, there's just, Hey, I don't know what's going on in Tampa Carolinas. I mean, they found themselves up shit's Creek faster than I thought they could find themselves there with Matt rule. And then the saints, you know, are yeah. cat hell trotting out, uh, you know, a fullback at, at quarterback. So I, this is, that would be a really intriguing place for him, Atlanta. So yeah, speaking of Atlanta, did you just see the breaking news about Kyle oh. Ridley? So he got suspended for the whole season next year, betting on games. No. Yeah. Download, bet, win. <laughs> no. Is the, so wait, this is a delicate situation because of the mental health stuff, but like, and certainly those things, those two things could exist like independently of each other. But are we, um, is it being insinuated that he went home and then bet on games when he was at home because he wasn't on a team? Yes. Okay. Well, so all these things can still be true. Well, tell me this Malik Willis, Picking up, you know, um, helping a homeless guy. I believe that one. 
the guy that picked up the trash, I don't believe that because he knows there's cameras in the building. <laughs> he very well might be a great guy who doesn't know how the internet works. But I can tell you, and I want to break this news on this podcast here, that Jelani Woods, a rising star that everybody's going to know about in three years, uh, I witnessed him. There was a pregnant lady in a busy intersection back in Charlottesville, and he sprinted out into the road, good 40-yard dash, bench-pressed her off of the into the median where she was safe and then helped deliver the baby. And I saw that. I saw that with my own eyes, and that's a real thing that happened about two months ago in Charlottesville, and I just wanted to get that news out there in case it helps his draft stock. Virginia's Jelani Woods, who benched how many times, Macon? 24. 24, probably ran great, probably did everything great. He's a high character guy too. So since everybody's picking up trash and helping homeless guys, I just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. Now that we've, we, we've covered Jelani Woods, the man, tell us about Jelani Woods, the prospect. He's awesome. And my first exposure to him, my first exposure to him was at the East West shrine game in Las Vegas. And I wasn't, you know, I didn't know a whole bunch about Jelani. I knew that he was a converted quarterback at Oklahoma state. They used him in line as a blocker for the most part, but transfers to Virginia and just lights it up, like finished second to basically every record that Heath Miller ever set. And so I'm walking out to practice and um, the, the tight ends and the offensive tackles are working together, like on double team drills. And I'm like, is this dude a tackle or a tight end? So I look down at the printed roster and his number, I think it was like 84 or something like that. And I was like, man, does he have the wrong Jersey on or something like that? I mean, this guy's six foot seven, 260 pounds. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's a tight end. And then he goes out and he runs routes and he looks fluid. And I'm like, man, like, who is this guy? I was like, Oh wow. That's Jelani Wood. So yeah, he's that project that you take in the third or the fourth round that I think could be a really, really good player for you. Now he does need to work on as far as his blocking right now, just because he simply doesn't know how to do it. Like he doesn't, his, his technique isn't super sharp right now but once he gains some exposure to it i think this like this dude's his his potential is like through the roof and the name that i wrote down just watching him and he's bigger than this guy was mo alley cox from the indianapolis Colts. Yeah. like he reminds me a ton of mo alley he has that basketball background i mean he can boss guys out at the catch point he can go up and attack it so as a number two tight end right away as a rookie i mean i'm all for it somewhere late day two early day three uh, and he's a great guy, as I mentioned earlier. I mean, I've seen it with my own two eyes. Get that news out there. All right. Uh, hey, more breaking news, Chris. Your 10-yard split was 1.55. Oh, wow. Nice. I, was, I was really – before I got hurt, I was a motherfucker now, guys. Nice. I know you have to tear up and find the old, the old stuff, but I was really twitchy off the Damn ball. Damn near Tyreek Hill out there. And that's a, that's the old turf, dude. The, the new turf, I'd probably run a one four. So about that turf, you're kind of wrapping this whole conversation up. Indy, their what their lease is up. They got a the NFL is going to find another place maybe to to run the combine next year. Is that why they installed new turf? To try to get the agents to to say, hey, no, we want to stay in Indy. Where could it be? Do you think Indy's the right place? I don't want you to ruffle any feathers, but you got anything off the board in, in your mind as far as the location for the combine? 
Well, I love Indy just because everything's right there from a hotel aspect. The hospital's right there. The skywalk is there to where you don't have to experience any of that weather. But the weather was actually nice when we were there. Like it was over 40 or 50 degrees every day, except one day it was like 25. But outside of that, like it was nice every single day. But normal Indianapolis weather is usually pretty frigid there. So you have the skywalk, you have the hospitals, you have the eatery that is all there. Everything's so compact and so tight knit. That's what I love about Indianapolis. Now, the three locations that's being discussed are Las Vegas. I think Las Vegas would be a disaster just from a prospect <laughs> standpoint. There's just too much temptation for the prospect. Like if you get in trouble in Indianapolis, you're damn sure going to get in trouble in Las Vegas. Yeah, dude, like how did you yeah. find trouble in Indy, dude? Like right. LA is the other one just because, you know, the NFL headquarters, NFL headquarters is building a new headquarters out there. And then everything's moving to the West coast. And then the last one is Dallas. I think they want to have it at the star in Frisco. That's the other location. Like Jerry Jones is making a huge push for it just because Jerry Jones, he's a money guy. He knows the combine is turning into a monetary thing. So it's between Dallas, Las Vegas, and LA. If they, if they decide to move it, they need to throw like Appleton in there. So there's one distraction free. (laughs) Just in case there should be an optional combine. If you just want to go do your business, and not, you know, scroll through IG all night and geo t- look at the geo tags and hit the parties and all that stuff. Whatever kids are doing now, you should go to Appleton. They should have a combine in Appleton. It's totally distraction free. Okay. So the last question, give me one guy who, uh, who I shouldn't panic about who had terrible numbers. Uh, and maybe one guy who I should panic about who had bad numbers. Um, one guy I don't think you should panic about. His name is Kyler Gordon from Washington. He's a cornerback, and everyone was labeling him as a freak coming into the event. Even some scouts that I talked to thought he was going to run in the four fours, jump over 40-plus in the vertical, and then have some ridiculous broad jump numbers. But it just didn't come to fruition. I think he ended up running like four six zero. I think that was his official time. But he's a bigger corner at about six foot, right at 200 pounds. So I don't think you should panic at all about that. As far as a guy you should worry about, Honestly, there wasn't anybody that like had terrible numbers that you should worry about just because it was such a fast surface that nobody just had like demoralizing or awful numbers like we've seen in years past. So nobody really like pops away right away in my mind as far as like having super bad numbers that you should worry about. But one guy that did test bad that you shouldn't worry a whole bunch about is Washington corner Kyler Gordon. Okay. Got it. Well, I, speaking of corners, I love the, I love the kid from UTSA who ran four two some. I, I don't think yeah. we're paying attention to long arms when, uh, corner. It's kind of like, it's kind of like we should pay, we should put more of a premium on D tackles, a low center of gravity and long arms. I think arms are such a big deal, especially for like press corners and that sort of thing. So I, we never got to talk about the corners. I will add this one. Barno, I did see him walk by some trash on the street. Uh, he's a Virginia tech guy. You know, you probably have some characters concerns <laughs> there. So, uh, I just want to leave that. <laughs> so, um, but Jordan Reed, this is awesome, man. I feel like I watched the combine. I appreciate all the hard work and the awesome content you push out on, uh, on draft stuff, man. Very good info. And you can catch money SBN Jordan. Thanks so much. No problem. Thanks as always, Chris. Always a pleasure. All right, buddy. See you. When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. If you're hiring, you need Indeed, because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. 
Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. Indeed makes it easy to hire great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You'll never forget that your daughter took her first steps the day Calvin Ridley got caught gambling. That's way better than the day I took, actually the moment I took my steps, the challenger exploded. Are you serious? I promise you. Like I was like, I was walking uh, and my mom was cheering and then the challenger exploded on TV. Bro, that's the day I was born. You were born the day the challenger exploded. Wow. That's Kingston for the record. I was, I was born the day OJ Simpson was born some years later. Uh, you guys share a birthday, you and OJ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 9th of July. Oh, yeah, you knew that. that. Yeah, yeah. I know that one. I know that one well. All right, Chris. So, Calvin Ridley, could he possibly have been unclear about the rules? No. Well, I think you'd be surprised, man. Like, there are technicalities that maybe I could have been busted for, you know, the last three years out of league. Um, Calvin Ridley maybe did not understand that he was not on a team. Was he on the team? He was on the team. Technically they, they hold his rights, uh, but he was not on the active roster. Maybe in his mind, he had moved on from football. Like, I don't know. Like there's a lot that's a guy might think, well, this is my plan of action and nobody else knows that plan of action. At that point, he might've decided he was retiring from the game football. I think what's tough about this is that Calvin Ridley um, by all accounts, a great guy, great teammate, um, you know, going through some issues and this certainly doesn't, um, cancel those issues out. I think that's one of the scariest things about this is, are some people going to belittle him on the mental health thing because he got busted gambling. I can tell you that having a mental health issue and gambling are not, uh, how do you say they're not mutually exclusive. I hit the win bet app all the time. Uh, so I'm just, those two things don't cancel each other out. I also don't think Calvin Ridley thought, Hey, I'm on a team from what it sounds like he was gambling. Uh, and you have the dates handy. So you can tell me which Falcons games he was gambling on, but he was putting the Falcons to win in his three, five and 18 parlays, which is the biggest issue. That's the biggest issue of them all. I mean, we've got a decision-making issue. Like it's quite possible that Calvin Ridley, a, thought he was going to do something that he wasn't. Maybe he's coming back to play evidence by him taking the interview in November, like a week after where he subsequently admitted getting busted for gambling in these three, five and 18 parlays, which I love, but betting on the Falcons, like he was Pete Rosing the Falcons. That might be, as you put it, the biggest red flag there. I mean, like 
<laughs> Who were they playing in late November? Well, that's the issue. It, it's it's an even bigger issue and a slippery slope because uh, they messed around and, and won. They beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. So this literally is breaking now, and we're not going to have every date right, but he stepped away from the team on Halloween. He gets popped during a five-day span when he's using an app in Florida, and the NFL had some sort of back agent, super top double secret way to figure out uh, they had a snitching app like built into this one betting service. And so three, five and 18 parlays, uh, including the Falcons to win the Falcons beat the Jags during this five day span, 21, 14 in Jacksonville. That's like, that's the thing. That's Falcons Jags. Like what kind here's a guy who believes in his team. I don't care if it's a Jags. Like I want to spin this. Like he believes in his boys, dude, like to bet on the Falcons. If I was in a Calvin Ridley situation playing for the Rams, I would have never put the Rams in my <laughs> like parlay. Like this guy is, he's maniacal in his love for the Falcons. I say coming back with open arms. One of these newsbreakers said that he didn't use any insider information in his gambling. Uh, how? If you're on the team for years and for the current season, let's say three months, August, September, October, and then you're placing a bet within four weeks, don't you, don't you know some things about the squad? I mean, even if he's betting on the Falcons – I think that's uh, insider trading adjacent. Okay, so 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 let's so let's. I, I'm. I don't think I think it's a big deal because it's a learning. Uh, it's a teachable moment for the NFL. Like I think it's a big opportunity, but I don't think it's a big deal. I'll put it that way. I think like as far as Calvin Ridley's concerned, I would have no concerns about him being back on my football team or about signing Calvin Ridley. I'd want to know, you know, where his head's at. How does he feel? How is he physically? But this thing to me is. It's, it's a teachable moment for the NFL where guys can learn that, Hey, like you need to think twice and check your status on the team and realize that like, not only is it illegal, but you will get caught. Like we have watchdog stuff, uh, kind of baked into any app you're using, even sketchy Florida apps. I don't think it's that big of a deal. And to kind of play devil's advocate, you know, you're talking about betting on the Falcons inside information is information when you bet against your team. I know technically you can still have inside information on the Falcons. Like maybe a guy's getting back from injury, that sort of thing. But what could have been happening before they played the Jags on the injury news front that could possibly gain him an advantage. It is impossible to gain an advantage betting on the Falcons. I'm being funny, but I'm not because like I put it this way, if he was betting against the Falcons, right? And he had inside information on a player on his team, not playing then. And he takes the other side of that, bet. then he is in effect, like cheating the system. Right. And that's what they want to avoid. And they want to avoid guys giving out inside information. It's a big tricky thing. I don't think that there's any piece of information unless you showed me that maybe Matt Ryan was out and they were going to get him back. And nobody knew about that, that he was placing the wager with, with inside information that was really pertinent. I think it's obviously a teachable moment, as I said, but I don't think this is some huge character strike. He said it was $1,500. That's it, buddy. We called the win bet hotline for, you know, like gambling addiction. And there's a guy in Michigan on that hotline <laughs> that will tell you, you have a gambling problem if you place one bet. So he uh, replied and said that he just has another year to get healthy is what he recently tweeted. 
And, you know, in his head, if he's like, I'm working on a two-year kind of runway to get back into the NFL and actually be – this is a guy who's not – he's not betting on a game that he's playing in. He's not telling somebody to drop a ball. He's not, you know, benefiting from insider knowledge on something about his team negatively and betting against them. Like, I, I think this is something that you have to slap him on the wrist hard, right? But this isn't something that would would deter me from signing a Calvin Ridley in the future. No. I got a question of the NFL. That's is is Calvin now currently out of the league? And then follow up to Calvin, have you any more winners? Because Falcons money line, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> that wasn't a fart, that was my table shifting. Did y'all hear that or no? Oh yeah. Okay, good. So, anyways, yeah, Calvin, you can come on the show anytime. We don't ask you about like the whole thing. We just want to ask you if you have winners. Like, think about it. What are the Falcons paying you? Maybe we can pay you more. Kingston, you said this isn't a big deal. Like, you're on my side of the argument, making you're saying, uh, uh, like, I don't, I don't think it's a big deal because it's $1,500 and he's not using inside information. Like, if he was really trying to profit from it, he'd be betting a lot more than that, I would think. So, I, I think it's something for leisure that he was doing in his downtime. And as you said, it should be a learning experience because I bet there's a lot of guys in the NFL that are like, oh shit, I, want to make sure I don't accidentally, you know, lose my position by making a dumb bet for a relatively trivial amount of money. Well, the NFL has got to contend with this stuff because as this gambling stuff gets more uh, prevalent and accessible, I mean, like we love gambling, gambling is a big part of it, but you don't want guys uh, becoming kind of targets for, for people that are trying to turn a profit. I don't blame the NFL for coming down on him hard, but like for me, it's mostly about the fact that he was betting on his team. And when you're betting on your team, kind of like Pete Rose was betting on the Reds back in the day, it doesn't bother me as much. It's likely not as slippery a slope as it would be in, in college athletics where I know we got NIL, but where the kids aren't being paid. For Headache Smith, missing a free throw, which he can control very easily and get a game under, could result in a, in a big-time payday. This thought popped in, and Cowboy reads on the group chat like clockwork, Calvin was scheduled to make $11.1 million in 2022. And you say, wow, that's a big mistake. And, and yeah, it is. But point being, a book's not going to see, not going to take an enormous bet on uh, a Falcons under and then, and then take a look at the field goal kicker, who's Young Way Koo, by the way. It's just too hard to do. Football players make too much money. It would have to be it would have to be some pool of gamblers to make it worthwhile for NFL players to be influencing games. I mean, like certainly one position can change everything in the NFL. Like there are certain people that touch the ball every play. There's kickers, there's that sort of thing. Um, I just think injuries are kind of the sweet spot for inside information with the NFL. Like we don't really know what's going on in the general public. When a guy, I know that there's a lot of transparency with injuries and that sort of thing, but being out of the league, what I realize is I don't know shit. Like there is a definite uh, level of gamesmanship that kind of protects um, even with the transparency, a lot of it for the gambling population, the NFL can't hundred percent handicap games and players can do that better than anybody based on the inside information. They think about a guy being up for a game, but this guy's up. What does that mean? I've been up for games where I could not walk into the stadium and they were shooting my ankle up. Like, dude, if a ball carrier has that problem, questionable 
is not a one size fits all thing. Um, doubtful is not a one size fits all thing. You, you know, about things that don't show up on the injury reports, a guy's going through something in his personal life, this, that, and the third, there's a whole range of things that can affect the outcome of ball game. That if gamblers have that information that could turn the tide for them, not many of the issues that we're talking about here are like headache Smith. Like what we're talking about is access to information and players have that. And the league doesn't want guys getting involved with that. It's not only bad for, for the league, but it's also bad for gambling. Like it's bad for the way gamblers look at the NFL. If things start to go awry and guys are throwing games or spreading misinformation or gaming the system, then people are like, why would I bet on this game? It's a shit show. We don't know. I think the NFL wants to avoid that planting seeds of doubt in, you know, in, in, in fans heads who are spending their money to not only watch games, but to gamble on games. And then also they don't want their players looking shitty and they don't want the outcome changed. Some of this is unavoidable, but what I don't want is that Calvin Ridley becomes the example guy. Like I know they have to make an example, but you have players in the league that have been caught on camera uh, beating women who have been suspended for less than we're talking about suspending Calvin Ridley for placing a fucking five leg parlay and betting on the Falcons, like betting on the Falcons. It's a, like, if anything, he deserves like, Oh, that's cute. You bet on the Falcons. Minor infraction, big time consequences warranted or not. I think all your points are well taken. They need to nip it in the bud and, and he's going to be the example and probably poster child because we don't really remember Josh Shaw. We don't, we don't remember Paul Horning for gambling. We don't, this has happened a handful of times and uh, to put a bow on it, it appears that Calvin's attempting to tweet through this. So I'll just catch you up for the moment. We started with, I bet 1500 total. I don't have a gambling problem. Then we went, I couldn't even watch football at that point. Next was just going to be more healthy when I come back. And now we're at, I was wrong. I know I was wrong, but I'm getting one year, LOL. I agree. And, and I would tell Calvin this, wrong place, wrong time, dude. That's the whole thing. Like, if you were number two, it's all about setting the precedent. Like, it's all about setting the precedent. Do I think what he did is a year suspension bad compared to everybody else? I just outlined there's some people who shouldn't be back in the league. Like, people that have done really bad things in the NFL. Yeah. We've gotten less. This guy placed a parlay for a couple hundred dollars and he bet on his team and he's going to have to sit for probably a year. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens to the appeals and yeah, it's kind of fucked up and things can be fucked up, but also kind of, kind of predictable. I mean, like this is reality. The NFL is a billion dollar industry. Gambling is like the future for it and they want to protect that. So unfortunately you're patient zero patient zero is not, the guy in Arizona who nobody heard of two years ago with everything that's changed in the gambling landscape, patient zero is Calvin Ridley. And that fucking sucks for him. Right. Uh, but it's medicine. He's probably going to have to take, and that sucks. Um, and it doesn't have to be right, but it can achieve the right outcome. And I think that's what the NFL is probably trying to do. I don't think it's as big a deal as a one year suspension, but I kind of get where they're coming from too. Yeah. That's a good take. Prepare yourself for a lot of bad takes, but, I think that's right. Yeah, what, what kind of takes are people firing off right now? Do people want him never to play again? Like, what, what are people saying right now? I, well, I, I'm going to both sides it. I think, uh, I think you'll have he should, he should be slapped on the wrist. And then I think you'll, you'll have, my God, the NFL. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, no, it's not that bad, guys. Anybody and girls sitting at home um, wondering if the product is ruined because a guy, you know, did a, a parlay in Florida when he was sitting out for the rest of the year. Like, the, believe me, the game's not played in a hangar and guys are trying as hard as they possibly can. Because as we outlined, it'd be really hard for most players on the team to out, you know, affect the outcome of a game. Get so, to the, if you're trying to, get to the centers. Get to the centers on the team. Yep, get to the centers. Um, it's going to be like six bad snaps before they're benched. I also feel like I also feel like tackles could do a number. Like, whoops, yeah, Joe Burrow just died. Yeah, 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 for sure. Kickers, maybe kickoffs yeah, out of kickers, bounds. No kickers for sure. Holders, holders, sure. punters. It's really that that special teams room. Yeah, we're looking at you. A hecker type who will toss yeah, it too. I hate to say it. He muffed a hold recently. Yeah. Well, we might want to go back to the tape on that one. <laughs> Speaking of the Rams. Nice. How about that? Yeah. Von Miller, uh, who seems to have been effectively a rental uh, in LA, wants to go back to Denver. And I, I'm at sea level. So when I saw, you know, that tweet i was like that's cryptic as fuck 5280 like yeah hard to decipher i know it means denver but he wants to go back to denver he wants that old thing back but what does that mean and reads like oh that's sir that's the altitude you idiot he wants to go back to denver uh and he's making that clear and i think the most interesting thing about this whole situation is it is quite possible on your conspiracy hat here that Denver's like, fine, fuck it. You come back in six months. We'll get some picks for you. We'll be even better when you get back. We'll tell you in February, no tampering. If, uh, if Aaron Rodgers is going to be coming to town, if Russell Wilson is going to be coming to town, I think, and Reed, I don't want to get you really excited here, but Von Miller knows something's happening. And, you know, Rogers got the big, Rogers got the big deal we're hearing about. I don't think that's going to be enough because money's not going to fill that hole. You know, whatever hole he's got that he's trying to fill. I, I hate that I've said this twice now, uh, but he's not happy up there. Right. So like maybe Von Miller knows something, you know, and on top of that, when you ship Von Miller to LA, it's, a better chance the Chiefs don't win the Super Bowl. Like this could not that the Chiefs ended up there, but there's no negative if you know that there there could be a comeback on the horizon uh, in Denver to ship him down to LA, accrue a couple picks, uh, and we'll we'll talk to you in fe- in February. I, I think this could be awesome. Another thing is like he's won a Super Bowl in Denver. He's won a Super Bowl away from Denver. This guy's done everything. He's a Hall of Famer. And the sweetest one could be the third one. I know that's what he's thinking. Like, I want to do what I just did here as a veteran, uh, you know, 10 years in the league, being through what I've been through, the injuries, the ups and downs. How sweet would it be to go back to Denver and be a part of, you know, a third one? And that's how guys think. Um, And he might cash in because he looked really good with the Rams, especially down the stretch. He's about to turn 33. Cowboy. How do you, uh, as a Broncos fan, how do you feel about this guy? For me, it's one of uh, us. One of us. Yeah, he's the man. I I agree. I'm sure he knows something, and he's trying to get back on the Broncos train. 
uh, and get back with the try to get Aaron Rodgers to Denver and ride that party to another Super Bowl. I'm telling you, dude, there's something in the air in Denver, and it's not just the reefer read. I, I think, I think, uh, I, I think something happens here. You know, I, I partially say that because we were joking earlier about I was playing games in my head with Cleveland. I was like, you know, could Cleveland ship Miles Garrett in a one? To I, I'm just crazy scenarios in my head. Like, who's gonna land these two guys that are probably trade candidates? Well, Russell Wilson's not gonna go somewhere like Cleveland, right? Any of these flyover states, and I just put Cleveland in a flyover state. I know technically that's not what Cleveland, anything that's not coastal or has like a movie star vibe to it, like Russ is going to pound that no trade clause, right? So Cleveland, something like that's not an option. Something like New York could happen, right? With a Russ or, you know, probably more so a Russ because there's that entertainment side of the coin there in, in New York, which of course I joked earlier, like you'd probably just be just as bad as the Seahawks were. Uh, before the trade, just enough to finish second in the NFC East or something. Denver's the most interesting one. We've talked about this a lot. Washington's popped up when it comes to to Russ or, or to Aaron, but like Denver is a place that I could see both Russ and Aaron. And I think I think Vaughn is the type of guy who's going to not only know what kind of moves they're going to make, but he might actually be the type of guy that a Nathaniel Hackett. Daniel, uh, it's just Daniel. Daniel Hackett, uh, John Elway, whoever the fuck is going to listen to. What do you think? Um, I'm not saying he's going to be the guy that signs off on the trade, but he's a fixture. I mean, he's going to retire and be one of the, I don't know, Reed, where would you put him celebrated Broncos? Like the top three to five celebrated Broncos of all time. What? Yes. What? Absolutely. Three to five. Yes. Watch Nate. this. Watch this. Watch this. Okay. I don't know any Broncos. Watch this. John Elway. Yes. Terrell Davis. No. Steve Atwater. No. No. Steve Atwater. Von Von Miller. I'm not. I, I know. I know some people listening are like, you didn't see Steve Atwater play. Yes, I did, and he's the coolest fucking guy ever. I'm just saying, you can't say he's a slam dunk legacy pick over Von Miller in Denver. Von Miller brought them a Super Bowl and brought Peyton Manning his second Super Bowl. He was a leader of a defense that was historically good. There is no no-fly zone if there's not a fucking air traffic control center. And he he's that guy. And not only that, he's got charisma. And um, this is the time when the game's the most popular. So I'm not saying, yeah, I'd put him in the top three to five influential legacy-type Broncos. Floyd Little. See, you're you're reaching now. You realize this wasn't gonna be as easy as you Shannon think you, Sharp. You gave me no. You gave me a running back who played seven years. Champ Bailey, amazing player, Hall of Famer. Von Miller is one of one, bro. And Von Miller's coming back home. People love it when you come back home, bro. After after the Patriots game, I'm no fucking Von Miller, but I was in the locker room when the when the Rams came to New England. William Hayes came and got me and I went to the locker room to see a couple guys. Like when you come back, like you're a hot commodity, bro. Like when, when you're gone, those guys didn't want anything to fucking do for me when I was with me, when I was limping around earlier, Vaughn Miller coming back is going to be the hottest ticket in Denver. And, um, and I think he deserves to weigh in on, on kind of where things are now. I think they're going to make the move, but Vaughn in Denver, he knows something Brock Osweiler. Yeah, he's up there. 
I mean, uh, from height standpoint, but you get the picture. Von Miller, will you concede this? Top five, definitely top four. I'll concede. I'll concede top five. Okay. Is that cool? You might have fired off a bad take. No, no, no. You guys did a did a nice job. I thought Broncos might have some more uh, names in their history. They do not. <laughs> There's a lot of great players. Listen, like um, Mecklenburg. I love Carl Mecklenburg. 77 career sacks or something. Was, uh, maybe actually it was more than that. Uh, Carl Mecklenburg, uh, right? He, he was a guy in the uh, 70s maybe, Reed? 79 sacks. I was close. All right, so Carl Mecklenburg. Steve Atwater. Let's just name some random hey, Bronco. Steve Atwater's mine. Maybe Lyle Azedo. Lyle Azedo. Three Raiders. Lyle Azedo, bro. There was a lot. There's a lot of great Broncos. That's, I'm not disrespecting the Broncos. I'm just saying Von Miller special. Hey, is this your notebook, big guy? It is. Don't read what's in it. I have no well, idea. I'm using it today in the studio, and it says Macon's attitude colon <laughs> bad period adjustable question mark. And I was just wondering what you meant by that. <laughs> Maybe it was a joke. But actually, I'm serious, though. That is the question. <laughs> Good attitude. I'm so happy to be here, dog. Now, can I complain about being that here really when you're not? In the is that really what's in the notebook? No, that was a joke. You think something like that could possibly be in this notebook? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Since you brought it up. I can't get fined, uh, but you've been great, man. You've been great. Thanks, been man. Great. Here's... You're like, you're, your attitude is like Andrew Thomas. Oh, thank you. Improving a lot of people are such. like we were earlier, clinging to the past, but he was actually not that bad this year. I do want to apologize there, Andrew Thomas, the way we kind of, anyway. Tell me what happened. Uh, was it Friday night? Saturday night. Saturday night. So a lot of funny things. Damn, my fucking chair moved. That's not a fart, guys. A lot of funny things have happened over the course of history. God damn. Like Cal once went for a ride on a water slide. A failed reality show host won the presidency. But goddamn, if Coach K getting blown out in his final game at Cameron after the farewell tour that he insisted upon, if that's not the funniest thing I've ever seen, I don't know what. It was amazing and it began with uh texas in kansas going into overtime and they had to double box coach k walking onto the floor for the final time in cameron because kansas and texas was still going on yes it was amazing they had pushed back tip off 15 20 minutes just so we could see this pregame ceremony with all his former players and they're in a double box which was just amazing. ESPN complicit in all of this idolatry (laughs) and they can't even pull off the pregame ceremony. And so I've decided sincerely that he's an egomaniac and I don't know the guy personally, but how can you not be with in June deciding that you're going to do a farewell tour with signing off on pre-game and post-game ceremonies after your final home game, golly day, he voiced over his own video tribute. <laughs> so there's a video tribute post-game showing all the great things he's ever done. Wow. And this was the trick. He kept talking about Cameron Indoor and how it's the greatest venue in sports. But if you just trade out the word Cameron 
every time he says Cameron, if you trade it out for Krzyzewski, he's really just talking about himself the entire time. And he voiced it over himself. That's a strange move. But so we finally get to the game. Uh, the tip-off, Duke fumbles out of bounds, and it's like, okay, we might have something here. And I'm yeah. no Carolina fan. It was, you know, I, I wish it had been um, really anybody else. But the fact that it was Carolina obviously stings a lot more for the Dukies. Uh, he seemed to be trying to coach more than he often does because he knows every camera was was on him. ACC Network had a Coach K cam that you could watch the entire <laughs> right. game, uh, and it, and it was really we've talked about the um, the living funeral a bunch from Curb, but that's essentially what what we were watching for the for the seventy five year old jet blacked hair <laughs> Mike Shashevsky. Um, I think here's my take. He is the greatest villain in sports who happens to think that he's the greatest hero. And that's where I think the egomania comes in where he can't see the forest for the trees. And I thought Tate Frazier put it well. Do yourselves a favor. Go listen to Titus and Tate, their recap. He, uh, he described Mike as a, a spoiled brat. I don't want to pile on the cat, you know? I think that says it pretty appropriately. That's how he acts. The post-game ceremony was just delightful after a 13-point loss to Carolina. You trot out the AD and the president and all of his family members, and and he yells at the Cameron Crazies to be quiet. And the only thing I can say nice about the, the Cameron Crazies is that they're actually attending Duke. They have matriculated to the school, unlike most Duke fans. Unlike Carolina fans as well. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Duke fans who are like, we don't, we don't get the hate. Here's the hate. Here's where it comes from, uh, folks. Chris Carowell with the blow-by and the handshake line of Hubert Davis. Nolan Smith with the no-look handshake to try to um, tell Hubert Davis, you're, you're not worthy of my eye contact. I mean, that comes from the top, fellas. You're being petty. It's really because Carolina didn't honor Coach Krzyzewski at the game in Chapel Hill? Like, Really? They're your biggest rival. I'm just glad it was Carolina. As you said, like, it would have been great if it was Wake Forest or something. That would have been perfect. But Carolina, as bad as I hate to see them win, it was great to see them beat Duke, and the whole thing just came down perfectly. And I wish I would have seen that. That's the one break on my vacation I should have taken to take in some Coach K uh, finale. ESPN dropped the bottom line so we could have a full screen of the post-game celebration. I mean, that's historic stuff. I think he's a villain that we will miss. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. JJ Reddick likes him for the record. Oh, does he? When we asked that fucking question, dude, the other day, I know when somebody's, I always say, it's not what you, you know, it's kind of what you don't say, like that tells you more about what you think about a, a coach or a teammate or that sort of thing. JJ was like, his body language is like, actually, believe it or not, he's fucking awesome. Like, and I'm sure there's a lot of players who feel that way that played for him. Coach K, as much as he's hated, I think it, at the very least has the respect of, and I think they genuinely get a different side of him. You know, I, I think they do. Like I got to see a different side of Bill Belichick, totally different side of that guy, you know, and I never hated him anyways, but I can imagine why some people might saw a totally different side of him. So I want to be fair to Duke, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah, I'm glad they lost. 
I just want to know what word that starts with a P Coach K called JJ. JJ didn't reveal it. Could it have been Punk. Park Ranger. Puka Shell little bitch. Pathfinder. <laughs> Party person. Alliteration, huh? Yeah. I'm, Can you I'm, imagine I'm camping outside outside of Cameron? Like for and that had to be the longest like wait. That had to be Black Friday times three to get into Cameron for this one. And they were saying people turned down six figure offers for good seats for that game. That's that's the most beautiful part for that's me. That's gorgeous. That's gorgeous. And you know another thing I love is seeing people like there's crying, there's sobbing, and then there's weeping. Mm-hmm. Like weeping is what people do at funerals that you didn't plan for. There were co-eds weeping. Weeping in the stands. They weren't surrender cobring. They weren't like shocked. <laughs> they were at an untimely death funeral. And then they gave him uh they, they gave him a bench. They named a bench after him on the campus. And I get it. You already named the court after him. What what more can you do? <laughs> they named a bench in his honor. You watched them, you know, for years very closely as a Virginia fan. Is this the end of that era. Like we're, we're just never going back here. You know, how some schools can like Roy Williams made UNC better, like the, the, a place where they named a building after somebody, like they actually got better. Uh, I don't see that happening with Duke. What do you think the future looks like? I think Shire's the smart hire because if it doesn't work, you get away with firing the alum who gave it his best shot. And then you go after you try to attract a, a big name. If it were today, it'd be a Brad Stevens type. Frankly, it would be a Tony Bennett type too, but I think you go with the alum, try it out. There's continuity. Coach K's handpicked guy. The class coming in is awesome. I think they're still going to be good, but they're going to be down years with more frequency. Like they weren't great every year with Coach K most years, but there was the year, for instance, where uh, they went 4-16 and 16 without him in the mid-90s, and he gave all of those losses to mm-hmm. Pete Gaudet, which is not common practice for head coaches. I think, um, yeah, I, I think they will always be relevant, always a blue blood, but not unlike Carolina, Kentucky, UCLA. They will go away for periods of time. And they'll always come back, but it's not going to be like this. This sort of sustained success, uh, golly day, I don't, I don't know if we certainly don't see it over, over 42 years again. But no, I don't think Duke will be Duke as we have known them um, from here on out. But they're always, going to be, they're always going to be around for better or worse. Who do you think, has anybody made the, that transition from like legend to successor really well? Uh, I know in basketball, it's, it's a lot easier, like, right. I mean, because a lot of it is, Hey, the hay is in the barn. We recruit. Well, we know we're going to have McDonald's all Americans. We've got great facilities and it only takes two guys. You know, it only takes a couple really great recruits who's done it really well. And then do you remember any that like, I don't know, cause I'm not no secret. I don't follow it as close as you is anybody. What was the biggest letdown after a legend left town? that you can remember. I think Roy Williams, Kansas went from Roy Williams to Bill Self. So that's worked that was, out. That was great. That was great. Uh, Bill Grothridge won a NCAA title after Dean Smith. Didn't coach for that long. Um, yeah. And then they went into a tailspin with Matt Doherty. 
Uh, I don't remember the guy's name who followed John Wooden. Bartow. Gene Bartow. Gene Bartow. Did he win a lot of games? No, that's the one I was going to say. It's kind of disappointing, but it's hard to follow John Wooden, obviously. Uh, it, John Wooden is it's like meeting a nice girl and pictures of her and Lexington Steel in the house. That's what following John Wooden's like. <laughs> Lexington Steel's a guy, yeah? You laughed. I think you know who Lexington Steel is. Well, he Steel. just gets mentioned so often on this podcast. I, I mean, if you... <laughs> I, he's, I, a folk, he's a folk hero. We don't like Coach K. J.J. Reddick likes Coach K. Duke's not going to be as good. That was some of the best TV of all time Saturday night. Got it. I am going to go back and watch it when I get home, uh, and that's going to be fun. So There was some more uh, good TV on Sunday night if you were able to catch episode one of Winning Time. So I'm truly on vacation, and, uh, and I apologize to Jeff Perlman. Um, I did not watch Winning Time. I know I'll be able to watch it. In fact, I'm a big binge guy. If not for content. So any takeaways? Yeah, you might wait. And sometimes it's nice to let a few episodes build up so you can watch them in order, just as long as you don't go to the last one first by accident. But uh, <laughs> rank, them one to t- rank it one to ten, Kingston, the premiere. I give it a solid nine. Oh. It was very, very good. Has Adam McKay's signature like all over it, breaking the fourth wall, fun. It's a drama laden with comedy. A few of the basketball scenes gave me a little bit of pause. That, that was my okay, only complaint. Okay, okay, okay. So let me just say this. And with all due respect to Adam McKay, who loved the guy, would love to have him on the podcast. Michael Shannon was in, was supposed to be in winning time. And he was like, nah, too much fourth wall. And all I'm saying is like, I, I kind of hate fourth wall stuff. I think it's hard to, to get that right. And then. Um, is that when they like start to talk to me? Yeah, I don't, I don't need that. And usually there's some like cute, like fast paced music playing in the background and they're over explaining the plot. Like I, I am a big, and I've said this before, like I want the plot peeled like an onion. Like I want, I, I, you know, and obviously this is different. This isn't like a fictional show, but, but Michael Shannon thought there was too much fourth wall and I'm not really into dramas that are, you know, like peppered with comedy. Oh, like, that's my genre. You, know, you love Dramedy. Yeah. Dramedies. I, you know, like I'm not worried about it. I just think it's probably a lot of fourth wall and, uh, and I'm prepared to maybe not love the fourth wall stuff, but I have heard good reviews. So yeah. I'm excited about it. And I loved the portrayal of Jerry West. The Jerry West character is my favorite right now. They cast, they cast that bad boy. Perfect. That was a guy from zero dark 30. Yeah, I can't Jason remember. Clark. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's great. So looking forward to that. Hey, if you get within uh, 1,000 feet of Charlottesville, Virginia, sea level, I will have done this pod for free. Oh, easy. Within 1,000 feet? That's right. Yeah, 1,500. It's like literally... (laughs) You want to be be a bit more exact? No, you said 1,000 feet. I'm not going to change my shit to... Like, I don't care about being right. I care about you squirming because you're not going to have as much money. We're at 594 feet. I owe you a game check. <laughs> I put it at 1,500 just to cover my bases. You're a good gambler. Uh, hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Look at his legs shaking. You really didn't think I'd get within 1,000 feet of that? You're just feeling generous. I'm feeling generous. Oh, and what a feeling that is. I hope you, I hope it stays that way, and I can't wait to see you guys when I get back. Hey, Reed, good to have you back in the office, buddy. Who's going to break this to him? I mean, it's Yeah, been... he's, he's not here. Oh, Reed's not in there. 
No. <laughs> He's on the, what, do you have, what do you have, long COVID? The COVID Cowboys at home. You've, you've, yeah. made, you've made him come to work. I've been delighted to be at work because I'm contractually ob- obligated to be delighted every time I'm here now. But the COVID <laughs> Cowboys have been at home this whole time. Oh, man, I kept being like, can we get Reed on? And, you know, the connection was bad, so I, I could have I could have scrolled over and seen the there on my uh, Ooh, not the doc, John. But Y'all take care. Cuidense todos. Oh, 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 oh. 